Welcome back to the State of Sports Media. This is Brad. I'm here with Kyle today. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to sharing with the world our really important thoughts about the state of sports media. <laughs> you know, uh, we are just uh, two white guys that have nothing better than to do than to tell everybody else what they should think about things. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, that we would even ask ourselves this question is is just kind of too much for me to handle for myself, but yet we keep doing it. Well, and uh, I I justify it as uh, it's an it's a chance to just hang out and chat. You know, I don't really care exactly. whether anybody listens or not, and exactly. I hope you have enjoyed if you do. But uh, I don't really care either way. So yeah, I'm with you. Um, well, this week we're going to talk about ESPN. This is our first foray into diving into one particular media outlet. So we've chosen to go big here off the bat, um, but kind of our format as always we'll start with what we looked at this past week and then dig into espn and finish with grading them out on a new rubric that we have and then uh sharing a little bit about this coming week but uh, why don't you share what you've been paying attention to this past week Kyle? uh well last week i mentioned that mercedes is on a path to potentially win uh the first and second spot in every formula one race this season which i kind of have this love-hate relationship with Formula One because I find the sport to be maybe the pinnacle of capitalist interest in sports. And so in that way, that's what intrigues me often is kind of just watching, like literally watching to see how it all plays out and like where the powerful forces are in the sport. And then also like how something can seemingly be really close to being unsustainable because of how much wealth is in it which is an interesting thing so for example i'm always interested in the fact that like to have a team like if you and i wanted to start a team we would probably need 500 million in cash like Hmm. just to get on the starting grid and so that's fascinating um the history of the sport is bizarre. The seriousness of the sport amongst those that are part of it is bizarre. So it's a fascinating thing. And so in that light, I find it really interesting that Mercedes again last week went 1-2. And you would think that Ferrari and McLaren and Red Bull, uh, these other top teams, are like in the midst of the most serious identity crisis of their lives. Hmm. Uh <laughs> and so in that way it, it's kind of laughable but it's also too like i can start to see what is compelling about it and essentially what many are pointing to right now is the way the front wing is shaped on the mercedes car versus how it's shaped on the ferrari car hmm. and like it's a millimeter difference and that that's why mercedes has won the first two races and ferrari has not um so yeah, it, it's pretty fascinating for me, hmm. but it's also so absurd. I acknowledge. Yeah, it's such a funny thing that you're you're into that so much right now. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it was completely out of nowhere. I I've always been like, what is it about Formula One? Like whenever it comes across in some way, or I see a documentary, like the Senna documentary, I'm like, what am I missing? that so many others are so obsessed with. And so that's why I've been watching, I think, is to try and figure out what I've been missing. I have that all the time. I mean, there's a mix because it's not, I mean, we say that 
because I think I've been in the same space, but we also know that, um, we, uh, we also enjoy it to some level, right? Yeah. I mean, so like yeah. you get into it and you're like, what is it that people are enjoying about this? And then you find that it's enjoyable yourself. And so it's a mix of like social experiment and just enjoying something strange you never thought you'd enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. humbling in that way, I think. Mm. Right. Just to say, yeah. like, I, I mean, I think I had a NASCAR phase in early college because I did the same thing. I was like, what is this? What's happening here? Why are people so obsessed with this? And then dig into it. And I'm like, oh, I get it. And it can be fun to tune into a race on Sunday morning uh, and follow all the storylines and observe the talent of these drivers. It, it's it, it's all quite interesting. I think that's one of the things that um, the reasons we enjoy doing this to some level is because uh, I know this is true for me and I believe it to be true for you as well. It's just that we kind of believe that if you spend enough time with anything, it, it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I often use for me the example of New York Fashion Week that I don't give a damn about New York Fashion Week, but I bet if I spent two hours and read articles about it, it would suddenly become a really fascinating phenomenon that I wanted to know more about. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think a lot of the journalists that you and I admire, and even a lot of the um, writers that we admire, kind of pursue that of like, there there has to be something interesting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what about you? What did you watch this last week? Well, I was particularly captivated, given um, you know some of our past stuff where we looked into the netflix cricket fever mumbai indian series which i just ate up and really enjoyed uh to see that the ipl came to a conclusion uh and mumbai indians won in incredibly dramatic fashion in the final um beat the chennai super kings um and everything about it is kind of amazing they won 49 for eight uh with chennai super kings coming in 48 for seven um they uh, Mumbai Indians won the toss, chose to bat first, which is a really interesting thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they go out and put out 148. I'm sure they weren't thrilled with that uh, 149. I'm sure they weren't thrilled with those innings from their batters. Yeah. Um, but then the Super Kings come out, and um, some of the uh, bowlers for in, uh, uh, Mumbai were incredible. Jasper Broomrod, uh, who we know well from the series, Absolutely incredible. Uh, bowled four overs, gave up a total of 14 runs with two wickets. Just incredible uh, bowling from him. But the story was that in the 20th over, um, uh, Chennai Super Kings came up and needed nine runs from six balls, which uh, most of us would know would be a, almost most of the folks would be considering that a done deal mm-hmm. on some level, especially because. Our buddy Lesseth Malinga came up to bowl that last over, and he had been pretty much abjectly terrible the rest of the match. Um, he had bowled three innings and given up 41 runs in those three innings um, before the final over. Um, but comes up amazingly, bowls uh, perfectly, and they win the match um, in a f- fantastic, thrilling set where they needed two off the final ball and couldn't get it. Um, Shane Watson was run out on a lazy play on that final over uh, after being up for the entire innings. It just a, an incredible story, and I can't help but cheer for those folks after that show. And it just I think for me it's interesting to look at it from that sense and say, 
what are we, um, how powerful those shows and that kind of access can be in terms of generating fans. Absolutely. And it makes me curious about the ratings that the final got and to wonder if the Netflix show led to a spike in ratings in any way. Well, this is, was one of the other things that was interesting to me was how hard it was for me to find highlights of this. In fact, I yeah, still have is. not seen good highlights of it, yeah, um, yeah. and which is just amazing that they've they're, everything is behind a paywall, um, yeah. pretty much, and it's just—it uh, seems like there would be—they would recognize the need to grow in this market, because um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that they're not making Hot Star, whoever it is, is not selling that many subscriptions over here. I wonder what it would cost for the IPL just to make it free on YouTube or something like that as a way to get people in for a couple years, or at least mm-hmm. make the 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 final that way and you pay for the rest of it or something i don't know but it's a uh, it's an interesting question i'm it makes me wonder i'm curious to find out when i lived in england it was free on youtube they streamed Hmm. every match live on youtube um it makes me wonder if they're still doing that or if that was exactly what you were saying uh, an attempt to bring in some fans yeah yeah It is, uh, I have to give a shout out because one of the folks, I think in some ways the hero of that, uh, the Netflix documentary in my mind was Kieran Pollard, who had a really tough season and yet showed what it meant to be a teammate. Um, and for, he came out and hit 41 off of 25 balls, uh, not out to make the score where it was to be reasonable enough to win. So big shout out to him and, uh, happy that he was able to turn it around on some level. He's West Indies, right? Mm-hmm. And that West Indies team is just really exciting. Yeah, it is. And they just they seem to play with a, a joy in some ways yeah. that I don't find some of the other folks playing with. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I followed pretty much the whole season, and uh, Rohit Sharma, again, did not play up to his potential. I don't quite understand it. Maybe I would if I watched India, but uh, he's uh, in the IPL, he's not a great player. Yeah. I don't think that guy loves cricket. I, well, he certainly doesn't love being the captain of that team. Yeah, that's for uh, sure. I think we saw that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, shall well, we dig wanna, into Yeah, let's talk ESPN. Well, this is a interesting segue, but um, did you watch the draft lottery on ESPN by any chance? I didn't. I I was in a public place and it was on a TV, so I I saw it a little bit. And then uh, I tuned in when Zach Lowe was losing his mind. Uh, They went they went live to him and he he couldn't talk. He he he, all he did was like spout like twelve hyperbolic statements about how this was the most significant, outrageous, incredible, exceptional, amazing moment he had ever experienced. Is it? Yeah, that's for me. That was one of the things. That's why I like the segue because I think it was ESPN in a nutshell in some ways, and mm-hmm. like how they've been able because of ESPN, how we view sports has fundamentally changed to the point where now the lottery. I watched the lottery and thought this is needs to be more spectacularized because of the potential to make it even a bigger deal. Which I would. I don't know how I got to that point, but ESPN was. The 
were the people that took me there. Yeah. Well, even so, I feel like that's a perfect example of Zach Lowe going nuts. Of like, I I saw the whole thing unroll unravel, and I was like, oh yeah, that that is significant. That's interesting. And then when they cut to Zach Lowe, I was like, whoa, I I only saw ten percent of the significance of this uh, because Zach Lowe being at the top of M- NBA information gathering was like the only one that could probably see all the ways in which how it played out was significant. And so I think that gives credence to what you're saying is that there's tons of potential for entertainment there. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, I have to confess that I didn't have to work very hard to spend a lot of time on ESPN this week. And I kind of imagine you didn't either, that it's just kind of where we wind up a lot anyways. But what was your what were your thoughts about Spending time with them this week. Yeah, I, I'm i maybe embarrassed by it, but maybe not. I don't, I don't know yet. Uh, <laughs> I don't fully feel about it. But yeah, I didn't have to change one thing. Uh, it's the first place I go uh, for any sports news every single day. And I probably go multiple times each day. Uh, and so in that way, I didn't have to change much in to back away from that even a little bit more is I, I think it would be fair for me to say that it's probably the most salient media outlet in my life uh, and has been since I was eight years old. Uh, and so that that's pretty interesting, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it's it's probably fair to say that no media outlet in any medium has been as much a part of my life as ESPN has. So in that way, I think like my answer to that question is like it just felt normal. <laughs> this is how I I normally digest sports news. Well, it is, and that make it makes it hard. I found to analyze it on some level because it's kind of the touchstone that everything goes back to in my mind. That mm-hmm. uh, and it is amazing that they have been able to have that staying power, mm-hmm. um, and they do. It, it is kind of incredible. I mean, I remember watching. You know, we talk about niche sports on here all the time, and we just talked about it uh, with Formula One. But um, although calling Formula One a niche sport is probably uh, an embarrassment for me, but uh, <laughs> let's not do that. But um, I remember yeah. in college, I used to watch mainly because I often didn't have anything to do from like two to four. I would watch the strongman competitions oh, yeah. all the time. Oh yeah, uh, and their capacity on ESPN to make that fascinating and good television uh, was just uh, is consistent throughout. Is that they are able to find the voices and the format to create entertainment. And they are, I think, um, one of the big reasons why we have no problem lumping sports into the broader entertainment realm. And I think one of the big reasons why when we look at Ringer, the Ringer and the fact that they combine pop culture and sports, it seems perfectly natural because I think ESPN is why sports in some ways is a part of pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, they they built it. They right. They were the ones that put the parameters around the means by which we can digest all of this collectively. Mm-hmm. And that sounds general, but I think when you're speaking of these things that are truly institutions, and I would give it the category of institution, that it becomes difficult to see where the 
strings are and where the pulleys are and where the levers are of institutions that are so normalized and so salient. So uh, it makes me think of, uh, this is what I always ask my students to do, is to look around at the institutions around them and uh, analyze the historical construction of those institutions. And when it's the first time in your life you're called to do it, it's really difficult. And so I, I found myself feeling like one of my students of like, oh, this is what it feels like to not really know how to articulate it fully. Hmm. Well, and it's fascinating too. I think I, before looking at all this, had not put this together, and I still don't, uh, didn't have the time really to look into it, but. I, I think one of the things that we could argue is that ESPN set up and created the modern news media in some form or fashion mm -hmm. that I think, you know, CNN was the other folks were the other folks that were in the, the news 24 hour news segment. Um, but I think when we look around and we see what's working now in terms of CNBC, Fox news, these folks that are doing these kind of things, there's a real resemblance to ESPN and kind of the model they created in terms of the mix of news with Sports Center and then the take shows afterwards. Mm -hmm. That I think that that stuff you could argue came from ESPN's model. That makes me think of this moment that for some reason is seared in my mind. This is bizarre. But I was watching, um, oh, I just, uh, Tony Kornheiser and Wilbon. Mm. What's uh, pardon the interruption. Pardon the interruption. Uh, maybe like 12 years ago. I mean, they've been on the air, I think, for like mm -hmm. 16 years now. And uh, they were interviewing Andy, Ro Andy Roddick. And he was like, guys, I just want to start this interview by giving you all props that no one else has given you. But you all invented the what's coming up next. He's like, any news show you turn on now. They have like, here's what we're talking about now. Here's what we just talked about. And here's what we're getting ready to talk about. He's like, I just wanted to give you all props that you all are the one that invented something that everyone else does on television. Um, which I was like, wow, Andy Roddick, that's really insightful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe uh, do you want to say a little bit about what we're fixing to do here? Yeah, so we're going to walk through. We've created a rubric kind of of what uh, our grade outs on what different quality of, uh, uh, of uh, let me rephrase that. We've kind of graded out how they look in a number of different areas that we think are important for what people should pay attention to when they're judging different sports media outlets. And we're kind of walk through those. But before we get there, uh, we'll do a a little background on where SBN came from and kind of where they are now. Uh, and then we'll wrap it all up with a, a grade of where they, where they wind up. And those grades will surely be more insightful as we go along, but uh, we're, we're testing out and, and developing that rubric now. Yeah. And so uh, just some basic background on ESPN. Uh, they started in 1979. Uh, they were originally, uh, attempting to diversify their income and so they were partially owned by an oil company when they got started mm -hmm. and that's how they made it through the first few years which I found to be kind of interesting and so when ABC bought them five years after their founding they essentially bought it from Getty Oil um, which has uh, oil uh, drills all over the world 
uh, massive oil company. Hmm. Uh, but the real breakthrough uh, happened right around the time ABC was trying to purchase them. And it makes me interested in, in what a book would say about the year of 1984 at ESPN uh, because it's the year they got a ruling <clears throat> or they elicited a ruling from the Supreme Court that they had a right to purchase the rights uh, to broadcast NCAA. Hmm. And then the following year, they got the rights to the NFL draft. And then later that year, they got rights to eight NFL games a year. Uh, and so their viewership went from like 1.4 million viewers to like 75 million viewers hmm. uh, by like 1985. Uh, and so that was when they really exploded. Uh, and then in the early 90s, uh, they launched ESPN2 and ESPN Radio. And then really all the way up until this last year, it was only growth at ESPN. And so this last year, they laid off uh, 100 employees or so, uh, many of which were big names and have kind of attempted a slight rebranding of themselves but not all that significant but along the way they have kind of set them apart themselves apart not just in size but i guess it is related to that size and that they have all these different offshoots uh and so they have local espn uh versions that people can pay for and then they've got uh kind of a reach that is extending into africa and asia and Africa and Asian viewership has only been growing. Uh, and now they are also making the turn to kind of a subscription-based digital outlet. Um, and so I, I would have to guess that's kind of where they're headed. Um, but we'll see what that looks like. I also read recently that they're getting ready to launch um, ESPN betting, um, whatever they're going to call it. I don't know exactly what it's going to be called, but they're in a corporate relationship with Caesars. Uh, and so they're actually going to build a ESPN headquarters in Caesars in Las Vegas. Um, so. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back. It confirms for me this point that um, really it all started with live sports. Because I remember mm -hmm. growing up that we did not have cable and so we didn't have ESPN. And we I always used to love going to hotel rooms because it meant we could watch live sports of right. some kind. It didn't matter right. to me what it was, just to have some kind of live sports on. And the number of bowl games that I wanted to watch that UVA was playing in that didn't have, right. that we had to have ESPN for or whatever, that, that was just huge. And um, yeah. that's what made their, imprinted their name on my mind. And then, you know, I got to college and had access to it. Yeah. Then you started watching all the other stuff, and then the other yeah. stuff starts to take over in some ways and becomes its own kind of thing in some ways. it's It's been really well done, and they're really good at testing what works and what doesn't and then uh, amplifying what does work. And within that, and maybe we don't want to spend too much time on it, but just a couple of things that come to mind in, in that vein is uh, MLB, NHL, NFL – all were really NBA were hesitant to go with cable companies uh, early on because they just didn't see the market profit profitability of it. And it was ESPN that was driving that and saying like, this is where we're headed. You, you need to come this way. And that's why they were fighting so hard to get the rights to show live events. 
And you could argue that how free agency and cable deals are probably two of the most powerful forces in shaping professional sports in the United States these days. And that ESPN was there at the beginning of that, I think is significant. And then I don't know if these numbers mean that much to me because I got them off of uh, ESPN's um, press website, which I didn't know existed actually until this week. Hmm. Uh, But it is, let's see... In 2018, ESPN presented 23,542 live events and almost 65,000 total live hours of studio and event programming. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot, yeah. Well, it's amazing, too, the, the diversity of it. They've done a really good job, I think, and this is one of the things that I have to give them a ton of credit for, is bringing in some of the um so they don't provide coverage for these things in terms of have people writing on them Mm -hmm. but on their online platforms they have a number of weird and wacky sports that they have access to that Mm -hmm. nobody else is going to provide access to i mean i remember they were showing ultimate frisbee stuff on there for a while which was fascinating that they would be the voice uh, and provide that platform for that right yeah, and I, I think maybe a last point to speak to how far their reach can go is um, as far as I can find, the only close competitor is Sky Sports uh, based on a few different metrics. So worldwide, anyone that comes anywhere close is Sky. Uh, but even Sky, it, it, I was interested to piece together that they're owned by Comcast, which is essentially NBC. Uh, and so I... I I think that's interesting that I'm sure there's a a lot of fascinating stories about uh, the corporate greed and corporate reach that goes into just seeing these things as as markets as opposed to a product and then how that drives the shaping of that product. And it makes me think of what you said of just how good ESPN is at packaging sports such that it is entertaining and keeps you coming back. Well, it's really interesting because, you know, you, Sky Sports is an interesting comparison because they don't have nearly the amount of live stuff that ESPN does in terms of actual sports coverage. Right. Uh, it's a lot more of the talky stuff, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And then I also think part of that in some ways um, – so, I mean, I was watching um, college softball NCAA tournament yesterday on ESPN mm-hmm. because, you know – I'm doing research for this, so I need to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it was just fascinating because I was watching thinking, there's no way that ESPN is making money off of this. And yet they're big enough that even if the margins are tiny and they, they can do that particular thing and make it work for that space. And they know that if they go there for that, they might not make money off of that particular event but they're going to make money off of it somewhere down the road. Whereas I think sky is a little more risk averse in that space. And we're not going to go there unless we can see the clear path to profitability. Well, in all their niche sports is I understand that you have to purchase the right to watch them. Mm -hmm. So everything has its own subscription. Yeah. They're the biggest. Let's, let's do this. How, how do we feel about them? (laughs) 
Well, let's start with uh, what do we think about their quality of articles and journalism essays, all that kind of jazz? Well, so we have four point categories, 1 to 5, 6 to 10, 11 to 15, and 16 to 20 are kind of nerdy sports jokes names uh, for our um, bands of points here is FIFA is the lowest, 2019 Jordan Spieth is the 6 to 10. We say that uh, a 2019 Jordan Spieth ranking gives you observable effort, but average to below average results. And then 11-15 is Andy Murray, means you're really, really good, but you're not Rafa or Novak or Roger Federer. And then uh, Serena Williams is the top, 16-20, to as she's probably the greatest athlete ever, in my opinion. Um, so when we talk about quality of articles or essays or journalism or overall, um, just how, how well does this outlet do uh, – we have them not in the top category, but just one point below. So we got them at 15. Um, well, so what, this, what were your thoughts there? Well, I think this for me comes down to the mix of consistency, that they have some of the best stuff out there in terms mm -hmm. of Zach Lowe, who I think we both love, and you know some of the other folks that are doing NBA stuff are fantastic, and that high-end talent is phenomenal. But I do think that we're a little bit, off put by some of the lower end stuff, but also some of the focus on Stephen A. Smith stuff. And so I think about some examples of this being like, so the day after the game sevens, um, their new morning show get out focused almost entirely on the Raptors 76ers game and did not talk about the Blazers, um, game really at all, even though it was a phenomenal game. And I think that goes back to, for me, some of the problems so that even though they have some of the best capacity to do things out there, they don't always get to that high point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say one thing that sets them apart is uh, because they have such a reach and because they have so much money, they can pay to keep talent. And I think another way that translates is to professionalism. Mm -hmm. And so they have some of these folks that have literally been there since 1979, like Chris Berman. I, I don't like him, but he's an example of how NBA can pay to keep uh, the top talent. Uh, and so no matter where you go on their website, you can find absolutely exceptional journalism. But like you, I, I'm hesitant to give them the top category because they do also engage in clickbait which is what I would call Stephen A. Smith. And he's not the only version. There's there's other versions of it on the site and even on television. SportsCenter has become nearly unwatchable for me uh, because of how plastic it has become, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's um, two other things being that I think that, A, it's been hilarious to follow Stephen A. Smith in the wake of this new deal he signed with ESPN. Mm -hmm. Um I thought it was amazing that I went on and watched one of his that clip they had of him on uh, YouTube, and uh, the comments were hilarious because they're all like, "Let this guy get some sleep. Stop working him to death." <laughs> he doesn't need to comment on every single sporting thing that's ever happened. That's um, pretty good. Uh, but also, I do want to point out too that one of the things that I think they fall short in is kind of the area of new media. Mm -hmm. um, I think their television, radio, and website are all phenomenal. 
but I think they're falling short in some of the more social stuff. I don't think their YouTube content, they've really figured out what that needs to be. I don't think they've figured out some of the podcasting networks where that needs to be. Uh, and so I think there's some stuff that is lacking in terms of the full breadth of what kind of media can be out there. I would agree with that. And that might be somewhat of a, a nice transition into the second criterion here, is, which is the diversity of voices. Uh, and we have them at a 17. Do you want to speak to that some? Yeah, so I think, you know, this is in our top category. And that really, I think, comes down to their ability to pay for different kinds of folks in different spaces. I think we're we're probably a little disappointed in the fact that the front page doesn't always highlight those things, but they do have um, a number of different perspectives. I mean, their undefeated thing, I think, has been much uh, more developed and well done than it was a few years ago. It's always interesting to see what they're doing there. Uh, some of their ESPNW stuff has been fantastic recently. Um, I'm always happy when I turn on... Um, What's the one that comes on before PTI where they're all arguing with each other? Around um, the Horn. Around the Horn, and I see Sarah Spain on there, who I have just so much respect for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been really good, I think, at bringing in some of those different voices. Yeah, I would agree. Around the Horn, I think, is a good example in that there are days where it's it's all white men, but it's actually really rare for all four guests on that show to be white men. Uh, and so diversity of voices there and around the horn especially has always sought out new talent and given new uh, up-and-coming journalists uh, a shot on that show, which I've always appreciated. And then I, I would uh, double down on the fact that the undefeated exists. I, I find to be pretty exceptional uh, that a, a major outlet uh, took a chance on Undefeated. I know they have a little bit of a rot history with how that came about and that it's a little sketchy about how ESPN felt about it early on. Uh, but nonetheless, it exists. Uh, and so I, I can't imagine uh, how much work it was to get uh, the Undefeated onto the front page, which which they did. And like I said, not everyone loved it, but it, it's there. So I think that that's significant. Yeah, and so I think, you know, they fall a little bit short of the top because they don't promote some of those outside voices enough. Um, but mm-hmm. there is still, you know, it's still, I think, for us, and probably part of the reason we grade this so highly is a little bit due to some judgment um, in terms of we know this is the biggest outlet and so for them to put that diversity up front is a riskier move than anybody else mm-hmm. putting that diversity up front and so i think we grade them a little bit higher because of that mm-hmm. um and so you know they're still not um where we want them to be but it is a it is a good place and i think we're going to find that they're about the top in terms of where their competition is in that way yeah but yet but, on political engagement, we got them falling a little bit short. I think that's where I think they're still a little bit hesitant to, to lean into some of the stuff that they've said. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of that, that undefeated stuff is still, you know, when you and I read it, we see all the political undertones. But I think that ESPN really struggles to go to that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you and I both look at the Jameel Hill situation as a kind of a... Uh, a barometer of how that stands at that organization in there, the way they handled it so poorly just speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they 
gave a black woman that platform at uh i guess i think it was like 4 p.m every day six i think six was it six yeah yeah right it's like one of those things where like espn was like okay this is different this is a a step out in that direction but then to follow that up was censoring her (laughs) and fining her um and suspending her and then ultimately firing her uh, for things that you and I found laughable in the sense that they were nowhere near what you and I would call radical. <laughs> and so I, I think in that way, like it's worth pointing out of how, um, how differently you and I probably see this than a, a vast majority of ESPN watchers. And I find it interesting that uh, in the Trump era, ESPN has gotten flack for being conservative uh, or for being liberal, I'm sorry. Uh, or too liberal. And again, I, it's interesting that you and I find that laughable. Well, it is. I mean, and it's, you know, we do have to give them credit on some level that they're willing to engage with these things at all. It's just, I think, where we find them lacking is their willingness to draw that next line. I mean, I think one of the, the best things ESPN has ever done and continues to do is they're outside the lines reporting. Yeah. Um, and yet they still. Like they're never going to call a spade a spade when they're talking about the violence and all that other stuff that's going on mm-hmm. with that. It's all, it's all got to maintain that strict sports focus, or they they know that they risk losing everything. Which we would hope that they'd be willing to risk that in some ways for something that yeah, we know to be true in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I I feel is worth pointing out. Uh, we mentioned earlier of how good they are at packaging things. At times, I think they take that way too far, uh, and I think of all the Disneyified, tearjerker, um, kind of short-form documentary pieces they do, and uh, it's hard to speak against them <laughs> too much. But I also find them often like potentially doing more harm than good, uh, and so that they do that so often, I think. It, is something that not a lot of other outlets do or even like seek out to do. Well, I think it's, you know, they're doing it. And I think it's partly we, we can give them flack on this just because of the, the powerful storytellers that they have that I think mm-hmm. everybody is simplifying these stories. Mm-hmm. And yet ESPN has the power to tell those stories um, more powerfully. And so that means that their simplification is an even more, uh, egregious concern in some ways like mm-hmm. when cbs sports is going to talk about it and they just they're not going to run a documentary on it you know you know the the um you know have cbs did a long piece which was phenomenal on an lsu pl- basketball player who was murdered right before the beginning of the season mm-hmm. um, but that kind of reporting is so rare where they get into the um, subtleties of just because they don't have the resources and so the fact that ESPN has the resources uh, we expect them to go to another level with those stories right it makes me think of how during Wimbledon I'm literally laughing out loud at how thick all of it is I'm just like oh my god it's so overdone um, they play it up with everything they got same with Masters but it's so, that's funny because they it's funny you mentioned those two because in some ways they're the super boring sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we love them, but yeah. you know, they're, they are slow and they take time to get into and understand. Whereas mm-hmm. I think about the NBA playoffs right now and there's some incredible stories and the ESPN doesn't have to make them up. They're just there. Right. Um, and I think that's what's, 
um, that's where they're at their best is when they're able to tell those stories in the moment mm-hmm. um, and emphasize. And so I think about Zach Lowe there at the, when you can take that moment and like say, well, it's big that this thing would happen, but also let's talk about how New Orleans Pelicans were owned by the league for a while and that this is a franchise that has not mm-hmm. been done well ever, but now it seems to be like some good ownership is there. So what does that mean? And what does this mean for mm-hmm. Anthony Davis and explaining that, next level that gets you into a sport that i think you and i both really enjoy and appreciate yeah and I, we're we're staying in this point of probably too long but it makes me think of how a show like the undefe- or not the undefeated um the shop lebron james mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. i think why i find that so compelling is it goes there and that's what I think I mean when we say we're giving them a low score for political engagement because those conversations are possible. So, for example, you could talk about the relationship between race and slavery and the masters. Like you, that conversation is there's an audience for it, and ESPN could do that more overtly and to a larger extent. Uh, similarly with Wimbledon, you could talk about imperialism and colonialism. Like these are conversations you could have and, and they do not. They go to, isn't this place beautiful and dramatic? Well, I think there's some, uh, they've been given some opportunities and I think it's it's worth pointing out that there's ways to tell the stories that I don't think are polarizing. And I think that's that's the place where we can really ding them. And so I think about Joey Bosa and his comments about Kaepernick and Trump and all that stuff before the mm-hmm. NFL draft and now going to the 49ers and his deleting of those things. And it's ESPN will report on that, which I think we have to give them credit for. But then they also are unwilling to take that next level and be like, all right, so we've now reported that so-and-so says, Richard Sherman says, as long as he plays well, it doesn't matter. Well, let's dig mm-hmm. into this and say, like, how does political affiliation really matter Mm-hmm. on a team and i think that that's a story that would matter and people would be interested to hear no matter what your leaning is in some ways and i know it's right. a story that would be fraught and really difficult to tell but if anybody has the people to tell it it's espn and to the kaepernick point too i i think maybe where we could give espn some credit um maybe not fully up to our standards but i don't recall reading a anti-kaepernick article on espn mm-hmm. Like yeah. to see to see anti Kaepernick stuff, you had to go to Fox News uh, or to Breitbart. Um, but ESPN, I, I am pretty confident in saying that ninety nine percent of the talking heads at ESPN were pro Kaepernick. Um, so I don't, I don't, I guess that's for something. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I think it's one of the things that interests us most in this yeah. in this place. Yeah. But let's talk about enjoyment of visiting. I mean, we obviously enjoy it because we both do it, even when we're not tasked with doing it on some level. But mm-hmm. what is it that takes you to that place where you enjoy going there? Yeah, it's it's so clean. It's so professional. Uh, it's easily accessible. I don't get inundated um, with advertising. Um, I do... I don't give them my top, top score because uh, of little things of like to watch a video, you have to get through an ad now. Um, but overall, it, it's probably one of the more visitable uh, outlets that we have. And if, if you want to find something, it's usually pretty easy to find it. So if you want to find where your team stands or 
what happened in a certain event, it, it's not too difficult to track that information down. Um, so overall, it's pretty enjoyable. And it's, you know, I think it's the ease of navigation is a big part of that. And then also, I think the, um, for me, a big part of it is the, they have a steady enough incoming new sports things to talk about that their front page changes often. And so I think that's the thing to note here is just that, you know, we could go back uh, every 30 minutes and there'd be something new for us to check on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that goes to speak to their ability to do that. But also it speaks to our enjoyment because you don't want to go back and see the same articles over and over and over again when you go back. Right. I mean, I think about, you know, like, uh, I almost recommended we do Vice Sports for this. And yet when I go on their thing, they've had, you know, six really phenomenal articles, but that's taken them five months to put that content <laughs> right. out. And so right. it's just not a place that anybody's going to go for news at that point. So Right, right. Well, in some ways, that segues with the, our next criterion of reputation, and we've given them the highest mark possible, 20 out of 20, in that they are the they are the world leader. <laughs> uh, no one no one comes close, I don't think. So in that way, they are standard setters. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's, it's tough because I think that uh, you and I probably have people that we go to outside of the space. Um, I'm really intrigued to know how this is going to line up with, because I think the only people that can challenge this in some way are the athletic. Um, because I do think when I look at their list of writers, I'm blown away. Uh, speaking of the athletic that they've been able to pull in those folks to what's essentially seems like a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet uh, ESPN is always going to be the one that's on the leading edge just because they can pay more for those things. And so I think about Stephen A. Smith and I know you and I don't like him, but he's still a, tastemaker in some ways mm-hmm. yeah. in a way that I don't quite understand but that reputation for him in, in the broader world I'm not sure people like him but people mm-hmm. want to hear what he has to say it seems which I don't understand but that's what it is yeah yeah I, I could go on about Stephen A but maybe we'll talk about their relationship with advertising too um we're kind of lukewarm on this I, we have him at a 13 out of 20 uh, what did you think about that? You know, I think they do a good job. You mentioned before we came on air just that you don't leave because of advertising. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where I am. You know, the, the fact that I have to watch this 30-second ad before a minute-and-a-half video is off-putting. And yet mm-hmm. I can go to the site and not have to deal with that. It's just right. the video content that's really where it's particularly off-putting. And then their, their, their live sports stuff they've managed to incorporate advertising in a way that's not super intrusive. I mean, I think mm-hmm. about, uh, I mentioned this before we came on air that I was watching TNT NBA on TNT and they're doing this weird like commercial with so-and-so where it's like 30 seconds of a commercial and then 30 seconds of the commentators talking while there's a box for the commercial around them. <laughs> right. I'm like, I just, that that's where it gets a little over the edge for me. And so, yeah, I think ESPN has been able to avoid that and be tasteful in some ways with how they deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the only thing more annoying than a video automatically playing is a video automatically playing that you can't stop. Ooh, yeah. Uh, that's like, I I don't care what's on your website, but I'm leaving it. <laughs> if you're, if you're going to make me sit through something and not give me an option to have agency over it, I'm out. Uh, like and, 
yeah. biggest thing we learned from GeoCities is you don't build websites with music playing on them, right? Right, exactly. Um, ESPN does cover uh, some of our non-mainstream sports, but it's not front and center. Uh, we have them at a seven for that one. Which uh, I think is probably a little harsh, but I think is also, given how little those things make it to the front page, is worth is worthwhile. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's the the way we're measuring that of like what's on front page news. And I think I dock on points here because of their obsession with NFL and MMA. Mm-hmm. In, in that those are probably two of their biggest um, suppliers of income uh, and profitable for them. But they're also two that I loathe. And so that they're front and center all the time as compared to uh, something like cricket or cycling or even golf. Uh, really only what makes the front page is Tiger often. Um, so in that way, uh, I, I kind of dock them a little bit for that. Yeah. And I think that's the big, they'll go wherever they feel like the big stories are. And I think the problem, that's the, one of the problems we have with them regarding their content. And, you know, I go back to, you know, they wanted to talk, they didn't care to talk about the Blazers, uh, is that they are big market heavy and, you know, they fed in the reason that all these Knicks fans thought they were going to win the lottery was because ESPN has been feeding into that narrative for weeks even though when you read the statistics you're like well this this is ridiculous like mm-hmm. 14 versus six percent is really not that huge of a difference folks so let's, <laughs> right right let's be let's be clear here and so um yeah and so i think you know there's a bunch of non-mainstream sports out there that we care for and i think it's also troubling how american focused it is in some ways mm-hmm. we've seen some of that change with the epl stuff but i think that's a clear market that they have identified in the american audience um and so i guess i it's a it's a responsiveness to the the market as opposed to trying to build the market that i see with them in some ways mm-hmm. um, that makes me think if Lack of Premier League coverage is tied to the fact that NBC owns the rights to uh, the Premier League. Hmm. Uh, And so it's essentially giving their competitor free airtime. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. When it's tough, you know, it's. uh, I think about some of the stuff that they used to cover, I feel like, and they don't cover so much anymore. Um, and so I'm intrigued, you know, that they still do heavy hockey stuff, which mm-hmm. I don't, that's the one sport I can't seem to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, there was a time when you mentioned NASCAR, NASCAR would have been all over it. Yeah. And yet we don't yeah. see that at all anymore. And I wonder what the audience difference is and all that kind of stuff. Is it just that ESPN knows that they have hockey fans watching, but they don't have NASCAR fans watching? I don't know where that comes from, but they seem to really pick and choose where they go. Mm-hmm. And despite all the faults we might find in it, we're also probably calling it uh, a 20 out of 20 on sustainability, albeit not ecological sustainability. But um, I don't know how their biodiversity footprint pans out. But nonetheless, uh, because they're massive and because they have such reach, they're they're probably not going anywhere for a while. No, I will say I, I, do, I don't want to give them quite the 20 just because – we did see that little blip on the radar last year and it's not like I think they're going to go away, but I do think that there's the potential for some real competition. And I think we're seeing people chip away at it. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're seeing that 
I'm going to keep bringing up the Atlantic mainly because it's one of the ones that interests me the most in this whole conversation as a potential, not for the media side in terms of showing live sports, but in terms of um, having takes is perhaps the one that interests me the most in terms of challenging ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm intrigued to know, like, there are they being nibbled away at and where are they going to lose their leverage on first? And maybe that leads into the mainstream stuff in terms of they've chosen to focus on their money-making stuff because they know that they can't keep up with some of the more niche things on some of the other places. And so I think about college basketball that I think ESPN may be losing – their leverage in college basketball, not necessarily watching it, but in terms of talking about it to some of the other outlets out there, which is an interesting thing. And maybe they've chosen not to incentivize or focus as much in that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it when we focus in on The Athletic, but uh, I remember reading recently that The Athletic, and they've had like three rounds of fundraising now, and each time they've either doubled or tripled the previous round of fundraising. Hmm. And so like this most recent round, uh, they found something like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of, uh, funding. Uh, and so they're, they're on to something and a lot of people see it. So see if that'll chip away at what ESPN Hmm. has created. Um, well, I'm going to go a little bit out of order here and put in owner responsibility as the next thing to talk about here. Um, And, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. They're now owned by Disney, who uh, are not as touchy and feely as they would like you to seem. Uh, mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse is not uh, not really the CEO of the company. Although, I'm picturing in my mind Mickey Mouse as a CEO yelling at people right now, and it's kind of hilarious <laughs> to have that mental image. But. Well, and with Disney just recently purchasing Fox... Uh, and mm-hmm. I just read last night that uh, as soon as Disney purchased Fox, they um, uh, came to the table with uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of layoffs on the horizon. Um, so, yeah, these aren't like warm and fuzzy people. <laughs> these are mercenaries. That being said, I don't think we put them in the same category as Gawker Media or something like that. Right. So, you know, right. they're not outright evil i think we would say but they're not also um they're not also do-gooders so right Uh, but that kind of brings us to this final question of uh do we think this is outlet that's good for society and i'll kind of leave that for you to jump on jump into oh thanks um you're welcome um yeah, right. So it's probably, uh, I mean, all of these are subjective, that's for sure, but maybe the most subjective. Um, I think by our metrics that you and I value, uh, it caused us to put them, did we give them an 11? We gave them an 11, yep. An 11. Uh, so kind of in the middle of our metric here. And things we've already mentioned that give me some hesitation is... Um, the the mercenary like economic outlook of ESPN and Disney and now that Disney on Fox, also their um, allegiance to the NFL and MMA both really bother me. Uh, maybe the MMA more than anything else. Um, you know they took a stand on MMA at the start there, but I don't think it was a moral or ethical stance. I think they were waiting to see if it was profitable, and once it became profitable, they not only 
stopped having the ethical moral conversation, but they buried it uh, and say, this is, this is normal. This is good. This is okay. Um, and so that gives me some, some qualm and hesitation. And then uh, it, it's also, as we mentioned, becoming apparent that they're going to ally themselves with Caesars and be on the forefront of this whole betting thing. Um, and they probably had to. I, I think everyone's going to have to figure out what to do with that uh, as it continues to be legalized in all our states. So uh, for those reasons and others, I'm going to say that they're probably not <laughs> all that terrible, um, but they're also not social justice warriors. Agreed. And I think that, you know, it's uh, uh, I think that that MMA ESPN thing is or NFL thing is a big part for me, especially that they've recently ramped up their MMA stuff. That for me is a move that's very much in the wrong direction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, the NFL stuff, I can kind of understand why they feel the need to go there, but the now the move into that MMA space is very troubling for me. Um, and then beyond that, I think there's the, um, uh, you know, their willingness to give runway to some folks, I think is a good thing. So I think about mm-hmm. the undefeated, I think about ESPNW, I think about um, the way they've been hyping the Women's World Cup. Um, these are all things that I think are quite good things. And yet, um, it's hard for me to overlook something like that, uh, the MMA and being kind of on the wrong side of history, I think, with those things. Right. Yeah. So what does that bring us to? So that brings us to a final score for ESPN of 137 out of 200. We should probably admit here that we're pretty harsh graders. Uh, I feel bad for your students, Kyle. Uh, yep. Uh, so, uh, and I often feel bad for things I have to grade. So uh, that we'll see where that ranks out in the end, but that's kind of where we wind up on them for the moment. And I'm, uh, I'm intrigued to know where it's going to be meaningful long term, but uh, yeah. Any final words on ESPN? Yeah, I think it'll just be interesting to see where other outlets score in comparison to that, considering we've only scored one so far. Well, in this particular, I'm intrigued for some of the particular arenas. You know, political engagement is one that we're, I think, particularly interested in. How is that going to line up with right. other ones? And we've given them pretty low score, but are we going to find that others are worse or better? And then non-mainstream sports, are, you know, how is that going to work? Right. Um, with some of these smaller market things. And I, I'm just intrigued to see what we think about some of these other things right. as we move forward. But I think we have to give credit. And I think, you know, we've um, kind of shit on ESPN with some of these things that we've said here. And I just want to give them credit for um, whatever you might think about their politics or any of the rest of it. Pretty incredible resource for the sports world. And I think for those that love sports, uh, it's uh, at least in our age range, it often comes down to ESPN as a big role in that. Yep, absolutely. I'm in complete support of that statement. But Very good. We'll come back next week. Uh, we're not going to tell you now what we're going to do. We're going to leave it as a surprise, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll tease you at some point with it. But um, what are you going to be paying attention to this week, man? Yeah, NBA playoffs. Uh, I want to see the Bucks beat everybody. I do too, man. I seeing them last night just made me so happy, stomping on the Raptors. Yeah, um, and it's hard for me to articulate like what it is, but um, like they have this superstar, and yet their team doesn't seem to be driven by a superstar in the same way that 
these other teams are. And I, I think that's part of it for me in some ways. That, I don't know. <laughs> Going as deep as they do all the time. The fact that Pat Connaughton is still getting meaningful playing time where he wouldn't on any of these other teams, I don't think, is interesting. Do you want Blazers, Bucks, or Warriors, Bucks? I want Warriors, Bucks. Yeah. Um, I think that that, A, I think it would be a fantastic series, but B, um, seeing Durant and Giannis go up against each other, but also it gives the Bucks to have that clear shot to stamp their name on things. And I think the Blazers have been a great story. I just don't – A, I don't think they can, but B – I don't know where else we can go with that great story at this point. Agreed. Yeah, I feel like they've, they're they maxed right now. When you kind of see that, I mean, like, Enos Cantor has been my favorite player this playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet he has just looked so abjectly terrible, almost unplayable in this Warriors series. It's laughable. Yeah, I think they've taken their talent as far as they can. Yeah. But. All right. As long as they don't take their town to South Beach, we'll be all right. And uh, that's a that's great right. ending. <laughs> I'm gonna leave on a LeBron burn and uh, <laughs> say that we'll be back next week, uh, and we'll look forward to hearing from you then. But uh, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this, and subscribe to get back with us every week. But uh, thanks as always, Carl, and thanks y'all for listening. Thanks, man.